TGIF. Thank God I'm forgiven. Some of you thought I was going to say thank God it's Friday. This is the Terry and Jesse show. My partner, Terry. Barbara is doing some apostolic work as usual. The man never tires of working his knuckles raw for the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. The Terry and Jesse show. This is the holy hour of power. We promise to give you high energy Catholic radio. This is where we engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, full contact Catholicism. Our program is not right versus left. It is right versus wrong. You can support the show by sharing the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. You can share us with your friends and evangelize everyone you love. July is the month of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Precious blood of Jesus, save our soul. Also today on Friday, today's the feast day of St. Mary Magdalene. St. Mary Magdalene, pray for us. Let me jump into the gospel of the day. Then I got a couple of news items that I'd like to report. First of all, let me talk a little bit about St. Mary Magdalene. St. Mary Magdalene, our Lord exercised seven demons from Mary Magdalene. And then she followed him, even remaining at the cross on Good Friday. You know, when you look at the events of, of, of Jesus Christ being hung on the cross on Calvary in John chapter 19, one can surmise that Mary Magdalene went to Calvary probably distraught, probably weeping, and with loud laments. She probably clung to the cross and, and, and just hugged the wood of the cross till Christ's torn veins spread a soft covering over her hair and face and her gown. Think about this. St. Mary Magdalene took her first Holy Communion at, with the blood of Jesus, literally on Calvary. Then she was privileged to see the resurrected Lord beside the empty tomb. And then she announced the good news to the disciples. St. Mary Magdalene is also known as the disciple to the disciples. St. Mary Magdalene, her love enabled her to remain faithful to the very end. And so with the Blessed Virgin Mary, she courageously stood at the foot of the cross she was given strength to remain there that she might witness how great a price was paid for her sins and how unfathomable is God's love even for the fallen. Mary Magdalene was privileged to accompany the body of the Redeemer to the tomb and she remained there until all the others had gone. Our Lord Jesus Christ made her the first official witness of the resurrection. The Gospels tell us more about, tell us no more about her. We don't know much more about her then uh, there's a first century tradition that goes all the way back to the Middle East that when St. John and the Blessed Virgin Mary went to Ephesus to live, Mary Magdalene accompanied them and stayed there until her death. St. Mary Magdalene is, became one of the greatest saints in the history of the Catholic Church. Indeed, but for the Blessed Virgin Mary, there has been no saint of the Christian Church who for 20 centuries has made so profound an impression on literature, art, and morality as St. Mary Magdalene. To those of us who are tempted to discouragement because of our repeated falls, how eloquently does Mary Magdalene speak of the loving kindness of our Savior Jesus Christ, of God's mercy that is without limits, of the astounding power of divine grace. Today's Holy Gospel... <clears throat> On Friday, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. 
<clears throat> you know, one of the one of the beautiful things about being a Catholic is uh, just just once again the fact that we have the Gospels every single day to give us that spiritual nourishment that we need. What I would call that soul food. And so here's some soul food. On the first day of the week, by the way, that Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and, sent, and went to Simon Peter and the two other disciples whom Jesus loved and told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Mary stayed outside the tomb weeping and as she wept, she, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was a gardener and said to him, Sir, you carried him away. Tell me where you laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni? which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and then reported what he told her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is a woman who was possessed with seven demons once upon a time. And this is the person who God deigned to be the first disciple to see the risen Christ. By the way, there's an old tradition, and it's in some of the books of some of the approved mystics, like Venerable Mary, Mary of Agreda, and I think Blessed Catherine of Emmerich, that Jesus appeared to his mother first. It's just not in the, it's not in the Gospels. Remember, the Bible says in John chapter 20, not everything that Jesus said and did is recorded in the Gospels. So the tradition is, the oral tradition is that the first person that our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to was his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Be that as it may, Scripture says he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Tradition says he appeared to the Blessed Virgin Mary. It goes to show you that uh, women seem to be the more, the more faithful disciples of Christ. Let me mention a couple of news items. The Canceled Priest, I'm uh, friends with this organization, CancelledPriest.org, CancelledPriest.org, you can go to the website, they're coming out here to Paradise Valley in Arizona on Monday, August 1st from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at Mo Mountain Shadows Resort. You can meet like-minded Catholics. You can relax that evening. You'll meet several priests that are going to give uh, presentations, canceled holy priests. They're going to share their stories. You could be there with other Catholic guests. You can hear their stories as well. And you'll learn more about this organization and their mission to support those priests who have unjustly been removed from priestly ministry it's free, but free will donations are encouraged to help cover expenses. Uh, suggested dress attire is business casual or semi-formal. If you want to know more about the event, go to canceledpriest.org, canceledpriest.org. And they're coming over here to the Paradise Valley, which is in the Diocese of Phoenix, on Monday, August 1st, from 5 to 8 p.m. couple of news items I just would like to mention. The Biden COVID czar backs mask mandates yes los angeles county is poised to reimpose its universal indoor mask mandate by the end of july and biden covid czar dr ashish yiha 
voice his support for the move on Sunday. This is what the doctor said. The CDC recommendation is that when you're in a high zone, that sort of orange zone as Los Angeles County is, you know, people wearing masks indoors is really important. And it really ma- and it will really make a difference, uh, Dr. Ashish said. Again, just more. What is this? This is just more control by the globalists. This is, uh, they are drunk with power. And since they hold the reins of power right now in most positions, nationally and internationally, they just abuse their power. And uh, they basically do so by imposing tyrannical laws against us under the guise of medicine. Here's something else that's quite interesting, especially myself coming from a law enforcement background. The Uvalde report, they report systemic failures. A new report from a Texas House committee cites systemic failures in response to the mass murder of 19 school children and two teachers by a lone gunman at a school in Uvalde, Texas. A total of 376 law enforcement officers responded to the incident at Robb Elementary School on May 24th, about 77 minutes passed between the gunman entering the school and an officer finally killing him. And by the way, this is a reminder from Monsignor Charles Pope. He calls us Catholicism 101. Monsignor Pope writes that many people misuse the phrase, oh my God, or they, use, they, misuse, yeah, they misuse the phrase, oh my God. The phrase could be a prayer, writes Monsignor Pope, but it's usually not meant this way. More commonly, it uses a divine name as a mere expression of surprise or exasperation. This is not a reverent or prayerful use of God's name in most circumstances. It's at the very least a venial sin. Also, prominent lefty abandons the left political Reports that one of Washington's most prominent left-leaning think tank scholars, a fixture at the Center for American Progress since the liberal organization's founding in 2003, will join the conservative American Enterprise Institute on August 1st. Wow! Roy Tejera says, whose role in the Beltway scrum often involved arguing against calls to move right on on economic issues, insists his own policy views haven't changed. He says the current cultural milieu of progressive organizations sends me running, screaming from the left, close quote. So again, this is a prominent lefty who abandons the leftist politico and he's going over to the conservative American Enterprise Institute. Welcome aboard, my friend. Also, a trans prisoner impregnates inmates. Yes, a transgender New Jersey inmate serving time for manslaughter has finally been removed from a women's prison after impregnating two female convicts. Demi Minor, 27, is not complaining about the punishment of being moved from the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for Women to the Garden State Youth Correctional Facility. Minor serving a 30-year sentence and is not eligible for parole until 2037. What a scam. Men should be in men, male prisons. Women should be in women's prisons. If you want to see, just take their clothes off and you can tell where they belong. Up next, we're going to talk about talk with my friend Patrick O'Hearn. He wrote a book called Parents of the Saints. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. So what is a saint? You know, the actual word saint in New Testament Greek, it means a holy one. That's what the word saint means. It means a holy one. 
And by the way, that's why we call some of the angels, for example, like St. Raphael, St. Michael the Archangel, St. Gabriel, we call them saints. Why? Not because they're canonized. They're not human beings with a body-soul composite. They're spiritual beings. They're angelic beings, but they're holy ones. That's what the word saint means. And to talk more about saints, we have my friend Patrick O'Hearn from Tan Books. Patrick, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be here. Patrick, you've written a wonderful book. It's called Parents of the Saints. And, and, and I'll tell you why I like the title, because when you think about it, uh, sometimes we complain about, oh, you know, uh, look, at, look at these scandals happening in the church with this prelate and this person and that clergy. Well, guess where, guess where these prelates come from and bishops come from? They come from Catholic families. They, they, they didn't drop out of heaven. So if we're not raising holy families, what do we expect? And uh, Patrick, let me tell you and ask you a question. What inspired you to write this book, Parents of the Saints? And why do you think there's a lack of saints today? Yeah, I really felt uh, you know, the Holy Spirit put this book on my heart. I'd only been married several months. And, you know, that was, I just felt like my mission, I spent some time in religious life and I discerned out of that vocation. I'd really had struggled, um, you know, finding my calling and then God led me to marriage. And I wanted to find about the best people who rose to uh, raise saints. You know, there's a book, Mm. Stephen Covey has the seven habits of highly effective people. Oh yeah. And, and so like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, priests, you read about St. John Vianney and you read about these different saints, but when you get into the married vocation, there's kind of a disconnect because it's, you know, every, you know, it's like you can only read so much about St. Francis after a while or the nun that's levitating, you know, in the uh, cloister. Like I I need, I need real saints and parents of the saints. So I think it was, it was my love for the saints. And I think that they actually led me to their parents and said, you know what, I want you like often I'd be at mass and they would just are in prayer and these different saints would, it was on their feast day. They're like, talk about my parents. Like the world needs to know about uh, these are the holiest people. And uh, so that's what led me um, to, right. to research them. Yeah. Oh, oh. And so I spent about, yeah. And, and so I've, I spent three years to, wow. you know, writing this, you know, researching and then writing this, um, this book. And I think, um, and going back to your question about, you know, why there's such a lack, uh, lack of saints, and I think it comes down to um, there's a it comes down to parents, and I think as you mentioned, the, you know these the problem with a lot of the prelates in the church is they're raised in maybe there's a lax environment even from their own parents, and I, and I think as um, you know to, to like as we look around the world, we're so frustrated what's going on in the church, and I think that the thing we can control is what's in our home. So the lack of saints comes down to us as parents taking that responsibility and saying, Lord, and working with God's grace. So, so that's, I think that's, that's the, probably the main reason. Um, just parents not willing to suffer and to sacrifice and to risk everything. And putting, you know, often today we see parents are, they're so intent upon getting their children into Harvard or to, to play these mm. soccer, you know, um, all the, you know, the traveling soccer programs. Yeah. It's like, how often are they taking them you know, if they can to daily mass or going to confession, you know, frequently and uh, making that the, the prime goal of their life is, you know, in. Uh... You're, Patrick, you know, you, you hit on something. Mo- most Catholics in America, they're more concerned with getting their kids to Harvard than they are to heaven. Uh, and, and, and so there, there's 
there's just a lack of zeal. It's like Fulton Sheen said years ago, he said, we have truth, but no zeal. And the other side, the, the, the enemies of the church, they have no truth, but all zeal. And, and one of the things, like you said, the reason we're lacking saints today is uh, the house is called to be the domestic church. And if, and, if, and if the faith is not being practiced at home, don't think it's just going to happen by sending your kid, you know, once a week to, to CCD on Saturdays. Patrick, how does one raise a saint? I think, you know, the, the best line I have was from uh, Maximilian Colby's mother. And this was an interesting story. People came up to her, you know, after they found out that her son was, you know, a, a martyr at Auschwitz. And they're like, what did you do? Like, what, what was the secret? And they came praising her. Hmm. And she was, and she said, you know, I, I saw like how weak I was and I begged the mother of God to supply for my weaknesses. So I think that's the, the first thing is realizing that humility, realizing that no, none of us can raise a saint, you know, without God's grace. And secondly, we have to call upon heaven and call upon our lady and St. Joseph. And that's why even these parents of the saints, like, I feel like St. Therese's mom and dad and Maximilian Colby's mother calling upon them in heaven and saying, help me to raise a saint. Like, how did you do it? So I, you, you guys did it, God, you know, and so I think seeking their intercession, I think that's first and foremost. And then um, secondly, as you know, you and I have talked about Jesse, just how, um, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the, the tree. So yeah. it comes down to us, like, you know, like, you know, we're so frustrated with everything again, going on in the world, but what happens in our home, we have that, we can control that. And so like every morning, you know, that meditation, um, the seeking the sacraments, praying the rosary with our family. I think those are, you know, one of my, my hallmarks and there's the sacramental life. So I'd say just, you know, um, making your home like a domestic monastery. Amen. Patrick, so you spent three years writing this book. Uh, that, th- that means that you, you pondered, you reflected, you meditated long and hard on this topic You've discovered the seven hallmarks that make up that make uh, each of your chapters almost kind of like the seven signs that these parents exhibited, which they passed along to their children. I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, you keep using the number seven in your book, since that's the number of God, the number of perfection. But what are these seven hallmarks that make up each of your chapters? So the the first hallmark, and which is the foundation of of all of you know all the parents of the saints, is that sacramental life. So, you know, I go through every single sacrament and how these parents live that out. And I think, and I will tell you one quick story: is Louis Martin, Saint Therese's father, um, and he's a canonized saint. And it was so beautiful in his neighborhood when someone was dying, he would go to the priest and he would go out and uh, you know back in the day you'd have the bells and you'd ring the bells. I, I, I I don't know. I I wish we did that practice more often, but he would go, Mm. go around at nighttime and ring the bells as the priest is carrying the viaticum, you know, the blessed sacrament. And so he was just had this evangelization for souls, like even in his neighborhood. And so I go through those sacraments. And then the next one is um, surrender, you know, like how, how do these parents, how do they surrender, um, especially their vocation? You know, a lot of the parents of the saints wanted to be religious, even St. Therese's mom, she was on her, in tears on her wedding night. She wanted to be a nun. And then God revealed to her, no, that's not your calling. So how do you, how do you surrender with that? And then um, sacrificial love. You know, we see in the home of you know, Mother Teresa, like her own mother was taking care of the poor long before Mother Teresa. So she didn't learn that in the streets of Calcutta. She learned that in her very home. 
And then the fourth one, fourth hallmark, I think in the most meaningful one is suffering. And through that hallmark, I talk about how these parents responded to child loss, the loss of a spouse, losing their job, um, being persecuted, you know, by, by the, by the, uh, the state as St. John Vianney's family was persecuted and they had under, underground masses. And then the next hallmark we have is a solitude, you know, like a life of prayer and then simplicity. And then the final one is the sacredness of life. As you know, your odds of raising a saint are more likely the more children you have. So a lot of these kids, these uh, saints came from big families. Mm. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. You're listening to Patrick O'Hearn. He wrote a book called Parents of the Saints. It's a 10 book release. You can pick up the book. Go straight to 10. Don't go to any of these big, you know, don't go to Amazon or anything. Go to 10books.com, 10books.com. Pick up this book. Be inspired, mom and dad, parents of the saints. If you want to raise a household of saints, this is the book to pick up. 10books.com. The book is called Parents of the Saints. And we're having a conversation here with Patrick O'Hearn. Patrick, you cover over 100 parents of the saints. Give me a couple that stand out in your mind. Yeah, one of my favorite ones is uh, John Moore, you know, the father of St. Thomas Moore. Mm. And, and uh, Jess, you and I have talked about this, the importance of a father's blessing. And, and Thomas Moore, every day, he was in the morning and the evening, he'd get his father's blessing. And even as an adult, people thought, you know, when you, when you become an adult, they say, you know, put away your childish ways. But, but the simplicity of Thomas Moore, when his father was a, he was a judge, in the middle of the court and I'm sorry, in the middle of the town in London, he would go and kneel down and his father, even from his window would bless his son. So that, that really stood out to me, you know, the importance of us men to bless our children, bless our wives, you know, every day. And uh, this, and that's something, you know, Thomas Moore did. Um, I think another one that I, that I have in there is um, I think St. Faustina's father, he was a man of deep prayer and Faustina said that even after years in the monastery, she was ashamed of how little she prayed, you know, and, and how her father kind of, you know, the, she's like how I lacked the devotion that my father had. And her father would wake up every morning and he would sing his prayers. He had, you know, a lot of times it was like the Psalms or hymns to Our Lady. And, uh, he, and that kind of inspired Faustina. So those are, those are two cases. And uh, I give guess one, one other give, give me one. Yeah. Give me another one. One more is um, St. John of the Cross, you know, his, and it's tough with some of these, these older saints, like to get a lot of information on them, but John of the Cross, his father, he, he could have married pretty much anyone, but he married a woman that was beneath his means because, you know, he was true love and she was a virtuous woman and his whole family renounced him because he kind of came from an upper middle class. So he, he found himself pretty much living, you know, in poverty uh, but he made, he was willing to make that sacrifice. And I think that's where John of the Cross, you know, John Cross always said, you know, when our Lord appeared to him and said, what do you want? And he goes, I wish to be despised and forgotten like you. And so John the Cross could accept that rejection because his own father was rejected by his family. Patrick, do you mention anything there about the Holy Family in your book? Do you uh, cover them in a chapter? I do. I, I do mention um, Joseph and Our Lady, and uh, I, I talk about the parents. So I would say that all the parents, the saints, like the ones in here, 
they were devoted to them. And I, I could give you some stories if you want. Uh, yeah, yeah, give, yeah. You've got okay. about a minute or two. You've got about two minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the fact that, you know, many people know this. It was highlighted in Father Calloway's great book. But, you know, St. Therese was on the verge of dying. And her mother, um, Zelie, went up uh, to her bedroom and prayed before St. Joseph and, and begged that the child would be spared. So, you know, they say that the church is indebted to the prayers of uh, Zelie Martin for her daughter, Therese, but also I would say the intercession of St. Joseph. And, uh, wow. So, wow. So these, yeah, yeah, these saints are so powerful. Even Our Lady, you know, we see in the case of Blessed Bartolo Longo, right? He was a satanic priest and he converted and it was because of his own father, you know, appeared to him after he died. It says, return to God, return to God. And you know, his, his parents had a great love for the rosary that was handed on. Powerful. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm on here with Patrick O'Hearn, a friend of mine. He's from Tan Books. He's the editor at Tan, in fact. One of the and uh, he wrote a book called Parents of the Saints. And we're asking him questions. You definitely want to pick up this book. Put have this and your home shelf. Tanbooks.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call eight 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 five two six. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're talking to my friend Patrick O'Hearn. He works for Tan Books. He wrote a book that's called Parents of the Saints. This is a book that should be in the shelf of any serious Catholic parent, which I know everybody listening to this program are serious Catholics. Pick it up from tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. Support Catholic publishers. Patrick so let me ask you a question here. Most people write about the good things the saints did. In your book, Parents of the Saints, that just came out from Tan Books, you showed some flaws of some of these parents. What are some things parents should avoid doing? Yeah, well, yeah one of the things that I, that I mentioned in there is um, being really in touch with your children's lives and, and like who their friends are. And, and one of the things um, that happened to St. Teresa of Avila is she had a cousin that was uh, less than virtuous that was into, you know, I think it was more, um, even her mother had a romance novels and it cooled the flame flames of her devotion. Mm. And, and she even said like, there is nothing more important than to be, to have holy companions. So I think that was one thing, like her parent, two things her mom did, you know, incorrectly is one, her mom loved reading romance novels and then, you know, she didn't keep those out of the reach of Teresa. And then also watching like who her friends are. And I mm. think obviously these cousins, sometimes we think it's, you know, it's the, it's the neighbor down the street that's going to influence our children, but it could be actually be our, you know, the, your own relatives. And nowadays, obviously with, you know, pornography and computer, it's like, you know, you have to even be more vigilant and so that was, you know, that was something, uh, a mistake that they made, just not being, not being vigilant on watching who your children's friends are and, and relatives. And then the other thing um, was St. Therese's parents. You know, one of their own maidservants was emotionally abusing one of their daughters, Leone, right before their eyes. I mean, they just, what? they didn't see it. And uh, part of the problem was, um, you know, Zelly, she had to work from home. Um, that, that was, and the reason she did this was to get a dowry for all of her daughters who, who ironically never be, got married. They all entered religious life. And so they didn't realize they're like, why is their So their daughter, Leone was kicked out of school three different times. Eventually Zelie took her back into her home and homeschooled her. 
And then they figured out it was this maid servant that was abusing her. Um, so kind of shows you that even the greatest parents, and I, I will argue that St. Therese's parents are probably two of the greatest parents that ever lived. Even, you know, even they made mistakes. Wow. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. I've got my friend Patrick O'Hearn. He wrote a book. It's called Parents of the Saints. You can pick it up from tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. This book would be a, a perfect addendum to those of you that already have the other book from Tan. It's called Parenting for Eternity. That's, uh, that's by the, the, the president of Tan. It's uh, Connor, Connor Gallagher. You get those two books. There's basically everything you need to know as a Catholic parent to raise godly kids. Parenting for Eternity and Parents of the Saints, this latest one that came out by Patrick O'Hearn. Patrick, let's talk a moment about death. All of hell is often unleashed, even for devout souls, and most parents do not contemplate this reality, let alone think that someday they might be present at their child's deathbed. It's, it's usually children who are present at their parents' deathbed. However, this was not the case for Blessed Chiara Badanos, mother, who was at her daughter's bedside. So, what can we learn from Blessed Chiara Badano's mother to protect our children from Satan's fury, especially at the hour of their death and our death. Yeah, uh, Chiara was just 18 years old when, you know, when she passed away and her parents had prayed 11 years to conceive this child and then they had to give her back to our Lord. And as she was dying, she said to her mom, she was getting kind of scared. She goes, mom, the, the devil is, you know, the devil is here. And I have, I have, have the quote up here. And mm -hmm. Maria said to her, um, she tried to calm her. And she says, because the devil wants to take the, this is what her mother said. It's because the devil wants to take the most beautiful souls for himself. And then, and then her mother said, Jesus is with you. And upon hearing those words, Kiara became more peaceful and obviously her mother and her father were, you know, they're praying, you know, whether they're probably praying the rosary around their daughters you know, as she's in her dying moments. And then she also comforted her and said, you will see our lady. And so and then they made sure that obviously Kiara had, you know, the priest came with the last rites. But I think that that presence there, you know, because, you know, as we say, like, you imagine your temptations now on earth, but at that moment of death, they're unleashed. And that's why that word's, you know, you guys, Virgin Most Powerful Radio pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Mm -hmm. So it's like Mary, every single Hail Mary, we say that is invoking our lady to be with us. And, and as parents, it's like, we have to serve, you know, we're, we're not always blessed to have that happy death. And we pray for that. Like imagine like St. Joseph, right? He had Jesus and Mary, but that's where we have to be in a sense, like the Holy family to our children and, and, and to, you know, to be with them at that moment. And uh, as, as, as hell is trying to, to take them, as, as the devil's trying to take them to hell. You know, it's, uh, Pat, this is a constant teaching of all the saints that I've read throughout the ages, that at the moment, at the moment of death, uh, the devil will, will uh, do a full court press and will attack the soul with, uh, with demons as well. But the promise, especially for those that are, that are devoted to Our Lady, is that you're, if you're devoted to Our Lady, uh, if you if you're praying your rosary, living in a state of grace, you're you have Marian devotion, 
The Blessed Mother promises that she will rush to your bedside the moment that you're dying with legions of angels to drive the demons away and give you a happy death. And that's also another reason why we as Catholics should also invoke, uh, you know, at the end of our prayer, St. Joseph, uh, patron saint of a happy death, pray for us. Because we're going to need their help at the moment of our death because Satan knows that that's the last chance he has to try to steal our soul. So uh, just a word to the wise. Pat, what about the summertime? The summertime's often filled with immodesty, unfortunately. What are a few things the parents of the saints did to cultivate modesty and purity in their children? Yeah, one, one of the stories that I like is, you know, Maria Goretti, and everyone remembers, you know, her martyrdom. But she had a few companions that were, you know, using impure speech. And one time she came home to her mother and, and shared with her that information. And her mother rebuked her and said, Maria, why did you stay around and listen to that? You know, so as, you know, the curiosity of the ears, you want to hear what's going on. So even her own mother corrected Maria Goretti. And I think what helped Maria Goretti was, you know, she was obviously, you know, going back to Our Lady, she was very devoted to her, Our Lady. And uh, you know, especially even after her father passed away, they couldn't afford masses for her father. So she would pray the rosary uh, for his soul. So I think the, her parents cultivating that great purity, uh, not only in, in her eyes, but in her ears. And then the second thing was St. Louis and Zelie Martin. You know, in France, people would often change in the summertime. Their windows were wide open. And Louis and Zelie always reminded Therese and, and, you know, and their daughters, you know, for that custody of the eyes, you know, not looking up into the windows. And I think obviously when we go to the beach, you know, um, often you have to avoid near occasions of sin. Like if that, you know, if that becomes a sin, obviously the beach can be very sinful. So sometimes it's, you know, you go, you know, just, you have, I don't know how to, you just have to stay away from it. If that's what's going to cause you to sin, then you stay away from it. So um, those are, those are two examples. You know, I, I just I lived in California most of my life. I, I wasn't much of a beach guy. Probably lived about I don't an hour from the beach. I'm just uh, not much of a beach guy. I probably went to the beach in 53 years. Probably went about two dozen times, and uh, I just don't like the sand. Uh, I, I just don't really care for it, the salt water in your mouth. So, but there's people there that just basically live in the beach, and yes, that would definitely be a near occasion of sin going there every week or every single day. That would not be good. I don't have that problem no more because seven years ago, I moved here to Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we don't have that, that problem uh, with, uh, with, with a lot of immodest dress in the beach anymore. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's people that still dress immodest when it's hot. Yeah. Once again, it goes, goes back to the old Catholic uh, axiom, take custody of your eyes. Pat, um, examples, everything. We have a culture of distant fathers, fathers who are no longer in touch with their boys Instead, they would rather spend time on social media and allow their boys to do the same. They don't spend enough time with their boys. What are a few things these saintly fathers did to, re to raise masculine yeah. men? Yeah. And just, I just want to go back to your point. I mean, what, uh, on that beach aspect, I mean, like my wife and I, we, you know, we live in North Carolina, but I mean, you, we go to the beach in the off season. So it's like, there's no one there. So I mean, there are other ways around it. It's not like yeah. you, you have to, but, but some people you do, it's like, it's near occasion of sin. But I think, um, one of the things that it was fascinating was, you know, when, when John Paul II, he was around uh, eight years old, I believe, when his eight or nine, when his mother passed away, and his father just, you know, he it said he just became his prayer life took off even more. And, and they would often uh, they would go to daily mass together and they read scripture. So I always say the most manly thing a father can do is, you know, take 
take your son to mass with you. Maybe it's a daily mass and to adoration. And so that was, that was one thing that, you know, and John Paul, obviously he wrote about that in 50 years of in his, after his priesthood, you know, that how he saw his father on his knees in the middle of the night. Mm. And then, um, and then the other thing was just quality time. And I, I see that with, um, you know, St. Jose Maria Escriva, the, you know, the founder of Opus Dei, he would often go on walks with his father. And he said, my father became almost like a first spiritual director. And, and he said, he, St. Jose could just open up his heart to his father and his father would just listen, you know, and I think it's a great lesson for us as men, you know, just to listen to not only our children, but our wives, you know, we often want to solve their problems and just to, you know, just, okay, just listen. And, and I know uh, you and I love, you know, father Rippinger and I, I've heard with him is the people that have met him. He's very, you know, he kind of gives short answers. He's a very good listener. And, uh, and I think that's, that's important for us just to, just to, um, to be that, that solid listener and uh, just to walk with our children and to know that they can, they, can, they can share everything on their hearts with us. Yes. The crisis in vocations of the priest and religious life stems also from a crisis in marriage. What can parents do to raise vocations? Yeah, I would say um, pray, 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 pray. And that was with Fulton Sheen's parents. They never told him they wanted him to be a priest, but they, they always uh, prayed for that. And I think just being that... Uh, that example to your to your children, sacrificing for them, and uh, not 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 um, forcing the vocation. It's God's vocation. Just praying. And, uh... Pat, thank you very much for that great contribution you give to the church. Parents of the Saints, ten books. Pick it up. Go to tenbooks.com. Thank you very much, Patrick. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Jesse. God bless you too. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call eight eight eight. Five two six two one five one. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Are we going back to the sixties? Why do I ask that? Because the Pontifical Academy for Life, which was a beacon of orthodoxy under Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, well, let's just say it's departed from its mission, and it's going a little bit <clears throat> modernist here. The Pontifical Academy for Life under Pope Francis is pushing for departure from the doctrine on contraception, contraceptive sex. Yep, you heard me correctly. The document that they're coming out with, that, they, that they're proposing, breaks from five decades of post-conciliar papal teaching, and its backers, its modernist backers, are urging Pope Francis to make its claim official. Archbishop Vicenzio Paglia is president of the Pontifical Academy for Life. He's definitely a pro-homosexualist. 55 years ago, Pope St. John Paul the uh, Pope St. Paul VI promulgated Humanae Vitae. It was a papal encyclical that unequivocally clarified the church's perennial opposition to artificial artificially contracepted sex. Although this teaching faced resistance from several theologians and even bishops at the time, it has been reaffirmed and further developed by subsequent papal teaching from St. John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, to the current catechism, the current version of the catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, recently revised by Pope Francis, which describes the practice as intrinsically evil. But now, under this modernist regime, the Vatican Institute 
ironically first created by the late great Polish Pope and Saint, is pushing for a paradigm shift in moral theology that would include departing from established teaching on contraception, but also euthanasia and forms of artificial conception. And supporters of this radical change are urging Pope Francis to follow suit with an encyclical affirming this radical break from five decades of post-conciliar magisterial consensus. The revelations are included in a recent text issued by the Pontifical Academy for Life, known as PAL. They are an ecclesiastical think tank established by Pope St. John Paul II in 1994 to study and provide guidance on the principal problems of biomedicine and of law relative to the promotion and defense of life. Above all, in the direct relation that they have with Christian morality and the directives of the church's magisterium. Unfortunately, the Pontifical Academy for Life has made a left turn. They've gone modernist. The Pontifical Academy for Life right now under Pope Francis describes theological ethics of life, scripture, tradition, and practical challenges. A 528-page synthesis of the proceedings of a 2021 Pontifical Academy for Life-sponsored theological seminar as a contribution that elaborates a Christian vision of life by expounding it from the perspective of an anthropology appropriate to the cultural mediation of faith in today's world. In other words, let's catch up with the modern world and let's get rid of contraception so we can make our secular friends happy. This is exactly where they're moving towards uh, the Pontifical Academy for Life under Pope Francis. It's a radical change. The 528-page synthesis, the introduction to that 528 pages is written by Archbishop Vicenzio Pagalia, Paglia, again, pro-homosexualist. He's the Academy's president since 2016. He describes the paradigm shift in moral theology. It introduces as both descriptive, descriptive and conceptual as it follows a pattern that is both argumentative and narrative, theoretical, substantial, phenomenological, and interpretive. In other words, it means nothing. They want to use all this fancy language to try to change the church's teachings. The text carries out a radical change, moving, as it were, from the, spe from the sphere to the polyhedron, wrote Archbishop Paglia. He said, this is not a handbook of formulas, or catalog of cases that can be taken out of context of the overall argument. Rather, it's a fundamental exposition of the Christian vision of life, illustrated in its existential aspects that are most relevant to the dramatic nature of the human condition and addressed from the perspective of an anthropology that is appropriate to the cultural mediation of faith in today's world. However, apparently not consulted, in the production of the document, were several active members of the Pontifical Academy for Life. Elena Postigo, a Spanish-based bioethicist, shared on Twitter, As a member of the Pontifical Academy for Life, the book is not an official statement, but the seminar, rec but the seminar records in which 20 people made their personal statements. Many members know about it and are astounded, close quote, so the so Elena Postego seems to be an orthodox theologian. 
that was not invited to share her, her opinions about this document. Archbishop Paglia, once again pro-homosexualist, also notes that the text was drafted on the 25th anniversary of the promulgation of, human, of, of, of the gospel of life. John Paul II's encyclical that reaffirmed the church's opposition to contraception and noted its connection to abortion. This was not coincidental, he wrote, but was done with precise intent by these modernists. The vitality of that encyclical and its previous legacy in order to be honored to the full required us not to limit ourselves to commenting on it, but rather to decipher its meaning within the framework of the Christian magisterium that brings its teaching to life for today's church, said Archbishop Paglia, an, um, again, chief modernist who runs the Pontifical Academy for Life. In the introduction, here's what Paglia said, Archbishop Paglia. He said, This task is always carried out in relation to the living Word of God, which is ultimately which is its ultimately binding rule, and to the new questions posed by the condition of the human subject, who is designated interlocutor of its wisdom, in this way the tradition of faith is born, it develops and lives. Huh. <laughs> tradition develops, right? Develops right from orthodoxy to heterodoxy. This is what Pauli is promoting. However, many theologians are likely to find dubious to claim that the latest Pontifical Academy for Life's documents position is in any way a development of Evangelium Vitae, or indeed, the entire body of papal magisterial teaching concerning contraception from Humanae Vitae onward. Although the text is not yet available in English, Italian media confirms that it breaks significantly from established church teaching on contraception, since there are conditions and practical circumstances that would make the choice to generate irresponsible a translation of the reported text reads, A married couple may decide to resort with a wise choice to contraceptive techniques, obviously excluding abortive ones. There it is. The Pandora's box has been opened by Archbishop Paglia, who's speaking with the full authority of Pope Francis. They want to change the church's teachings. This is modernism and masonry that we're dealing with in the church. By any judgment, this is not a different or developed expression of the same moral reality referred to in the authoritative teachings of St. Paul VI or Pope John Paul II. But this is a necessary contradiction under Paglia, Archbishop Paglia, who runs the Pontifical Academy for Life. This is a necessary contradiction of the moral truth previously, previously popes described and thought authoritatively. They're trying to break with the church's teachings once again. This is full-blown out attack on the church. This is modernism. In an interview with American Magazine, Jesuit Father Carol Castellone, a member of the Pontifical Academy of Life since 2017 and a drafter of the text, described the summer and resulting book as an effort to apply the organic vision of Pope Francis' moral approach to the issue of bioethics. In other words, they're going to hide behind the Pope. They're going to say, yeah, this is his theology. He's the Pope, and this is, uh, this is, what we're going, this is the program that he wants to push through. They want to legalize contraception. Let's just be honest. This, this modernist... Uh, the, uh, the modernist uh, uh, Pontifical Academy for Life. And they speak with the full authority of Pope Francis. This is sad to say. The line of reasoning has commonly been used to suggest that the church's magisterial teaching on sexual issues, particularly on contraception, is inauthentic and non-binding. For instance, you know, they're saying, hey, there's a lot of U.S. Catholic women that use contraception. To so this is how they advance their argument. 
This is how they advance their argument. However, in other places that are not in the grips of the sexual revolution, when Humanae Vitae was issued, the rate of Catholics who adhere to the Church's official teaching on contraception is exponentially higher than in the U.S. and Europe. Well, this pains me. This pains me. Whether Pope Francis will publish an exhortation or an encyclical on the theological ethics that addresses these and other urgent issues in our human history, it remains to be seen. But uh, is Pope Francis likely to take such a step? As Archbishop Pagla made sure to make clear, the Holy Father was informed from the very beginning about this initiative and the publication of the proceedings. And apparently the Pope has offered his encouragement to the discussion. And as theologian Larry Chapp argued only a month ago, the Pope seems favorably disposed to the kind of proportionalist moral theology espoused in the Academy's documents. So Pope Francis is totally behind uh, this uh, changing the Church's teaching on contraception. However, at the same time, despite his willingness to allow conversations on controversial topics previously presumed to be settled, the Pope himself has more often than not been, un- has not, has not been unwilling to cross these doctrinal lines, meaning the wounds being reopened are likely to spill into, the, into and onto the next papacy. One thing is clear. Despite more than 50 years of clear and consistent papal teaching on the moral impermissibility of artificial contraception, some actors in the church, some modernists, under the guise of developing doctrine are intent on taking us back to the old wounds and wars of the 1960s. Hopefully, our shepherds won't allow them to take the rest of us with them. God help us. Lord, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Hey, that's a wrap. This is Friday's show. God bless you. St. Padre Pio says, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful. God will hear your prayer. Remember, we're all called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints. You weren't made to fit in. You were born to stand out. And remember the battle cry that we're going to hear when Christ comes back. We're going to hear, Christus vinci, Christus reinat, Christus imperat. Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. That's the royal praise that we will hear, that royal acclamation at the second coming of Christ. Catholics, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Open your heart to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Be holy or die trying. Pray your rosary every day. Read your Bible every day. Live in a state of grace, don't live in a state of moral sin. That's a wrap. I'm off duty. We'll see you next week. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.